0: Shane visits the darkest place to observe in Canada, and Chris watches paint dry on episode 352 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. I'm Chris, and joining me is Shane. We are amateur astronomers who love looking up at the night sky, and this podcast is for everybody who likes going out under the stars. So Shane, you were able to get out to the darkest place in Canada and do some observing and see some Perseids. Uh, Yeah, let's just start there.
1: Yeah, yeah. I went to Grasslands National Park, East Block. We talk lots about it. And, uh, this was my first voyage to there this year, actually. Um, it just hasn't worked out my spring and summer have been somewhat steady in terms of busyness, but, uh, I was able to get down for a solo mission and had one, pretty good night of observing. In fact, uh, I was, as we were texting, I told you in, in my opinion, it's probably in the top three nights that I've ever had down there in terms of sky conditions. Um, now in terms of people in the park, annoying me with white lights, that was also probably an all time high, but that's mm-hmm. uh, a whole nother story.
0: <laughs> I wish they would put one of those autentics in a, in like a dark spot, like in a different spot
1: yeah, uh, that would be really nice. Uh, you, you know what I really wish is that, you know, these dark sky preserves, they're all over the world. Um, I really wish there was a stronger component of educating their guests, um, you know, when they walk into the park. Uh, you, you have to register at the front desk, you know, and you're talking to park staff and they give you sort of the 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 latest and greatest on fire bans and everything else, you know, that you yeah. need to know to to stay safely in the park and enjoy your visit. I just wished they would add like another 30 seconds to that spiel and say something along the lines of, you know, as much as you would take your garbage and put it in the garbage can so that you don't spoil the park, uh, when it's nighttime, please don't use bright white lights uh, yeah. because that also spoils the park. Um, and it's just, it was incredible. Uh, how many people were using white lights till about 1230 AM. Um, yeah. it was insane actually.
0: Yeah, it's it's unfortunate, and you know, in in chatting with the park as as uh, Rakuziak and I have have done in recent years, um, probably Rick a little bit more than than me, um, but we work we work on the the park events together, and it just keeps coming back about safety, and it's just like okay, like you only need so much light to be safe, like you don't need. Like these, you know, thousand candle or thousand watt or whatever they are, lights that that people seem to have, even like cell phone lights are, you know, because these are these are like the darkest places in in Canada. And so like a cell phone light from a mile away is ridiculously bright. And then what was funny is somebody who had been to grasslands, this had kind of nothing to do with um with astronomy, but in some of the stuff that I work on, um, we were using uh, Apple watches mm. and they had made the comment to to a group about how you could see an Apple watch screen from like, you know, so many kilometers away. And I was like, yeah, that's right. And like in a dark spot in Saskatchewan and like, a, like a, the, at the meeting afterwards is raised. They're like, you can't see an Apple watch that I'm like, yeah, absolutely. You can. Like an Apple watch on full brightness. You can see like, like at least a mile away. <laughs> you know, down in the grasslands, like easily if I have my, my Apple watch on full brightness and you were standing at the top of the Hill, I, you would be able to see that. That would be no problem. At all. Yeah.
1: I might need optics, but you know, you'd definitely be able to see it. Um, that's, I think that's, what's lost on some people is when you're in these pristine, dark locations, um, like even small amounts of light, uh, are far more noticeable and, and impact the quality of that dark sky far greater than a sky that's, you know, a little bit light polluted. Um, like when I, when I was on my quest to find some flashlights, you know, for astronomy purposes that were amber in color, I bought a couple that were advertised as, uh, the, the low setting was one lumen. So that's Mm. quite dim. And, you know, if you put it down to one lumen, say in your house, uh, at night in a dark room, it's, you know, it's not too bad, but it when you get to um to like a place like Grasslands, one lumen is exceptionally bright. It's too bright for astronomy. Oh, yeah. Like you you have to dial that down to like a tenth of a lumen, maybe, yeah. maybe more. I'm not even sure. I don't I'm, I'm not a measurer of lumens, but uh any amount of light can really be uh detrimental if it's too too bright or the wrong color. And unfortunately, both of those were in play Friday night at Grasslands.
0: Yeah, but I anyway, think those- chart lights. I've got some of those amber chart lights and they're really nice, but they start, they go one lumen, two lumen, four lumen or something like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, But yeah, a piece of parchment will dim it down to more or less the uh, appropriate level. But yeah. So what did you look at when you were uh, down? How many nights did you go down for or did you just do the one night?
1: Well, originally it was supposed to be two nights. Um, Now this is also my first adventure using the Authentic and uh, I changed kind of my Uh, I guess the the gear that I bring to sleep in the authentic. So normally for tent sleeping, like traditional tents, I have a very heavy duty, very warm sleeping bag because, um, you know, it can get quite chilly in a tent. And, you know, if you don't have, I've been very cold far too many times that I just don't want that Mm -hmm. anymore. But anyway, this sleeping bag's big and bulky. And I thought with the authentic, uh, that it might hold heat better. Uh, inside than a traditional tent. Plus, mm-hmm. there's also an electric heater in there. So I oh, thought, nice. oh, no problem. Uh, you know, I'll bring a much lighter, uh, like summer blanket, essentially, which is very, very thin. And uh, I got quite cold. Oh, <laughs> so did we, you- yeah, before we get into the observing
0: report, um, maybe so, we should just back up like three seconds and explain what what an authentic is.
1: Yeah, so an authentic is uh, something that the uh, national parks in Canada have started to install, and basically it's a small cabin that's an A-frame. Uh, the floor is is made of wood. The walls are made of wood up to about, I don't know, maybe two or three feet, something like that. Um, but the A-frame and the roof is this heavy-duty canvas that I believe the military uses when they set up shop you know, in remote places or do things that they do. Um, and so it's kind of unique. It's almost like a hybrid tent with a real heavy duty canvas. There's some windows on it that you can open up and get really nice airflow going through. And then there's a whole bunch of sleeping quarters in there, um, kind of bunk bed style and, uh, Mm -hmm. like a nice sort of kitchen table and four chairs. So you get, Mm -hmm. you get a lot more comfort, uh, than you would in a tent. And one of the one of the big draws for me also with these things is that it gets you out of the wind during the daytime which in the grasslands really works on my mental health. <laughs>
0: oh yeah,
1: it's just not pleasant. So,
0: yeah, cuz there's the grasslands is a completely open environment. There there aren't many tree breaks or places to get into either the shade or to get out of the wind. And if you do find some trees, chances are it's not out of the wind. If you're in the shade, you're in the wind. If you're in the wind, you're in the sun. And you just kind of get uh, the crap beat out of you all day.
1: Yeah. And and because the, the daytime highs and nighttime lows are fairly extreme there, that's what causes wind. You know, heating and cooling. Uh, more so the heating aspect. So, you know, the, it's almost inevitable that you're going to have a windy day. So, yeah, that's an authentic. It it provides a lot of creature comforts that make the whole thing a lot more enjoyable. And, you know, the thing uh, about the authentic too that I'm uh, that really excites me is the ability to have a nap because they don't get hot during the day the way a normal tent does. So, you know, for an astronomer, having a nap is uh, probably worth more than just about anything on those trips because it just allows you to be more pleasant and enjoyable and, you know, observe later. So, yeah, a lot of benefits. And uh, this is my first time trying it out for astronomy. Um, so where I kind of messed up was on the sleeping bag portion. And and when I went to bed, so I have a little Kestrel weather station that I take with me They're They're quite an accurate device.
0: Yeah, I remember um, that.
1: Yeah, when I went to bed at um oh gosh, it would have been one, one thirty. Um the outside temperature was nine degrees Celsius. And I went into the authentic and it was 12 degrees inside there. Oh <laughs> yeah. I thought, ooh, that's a lot colder than I was expecting. So I cranked the heater and I could only get that place up to about 15 degrees. Ooh. And it maintained that through the night. But needless to say, the little summer, you know, sleeping, camping blanket that I brought was not adequate. And I had my toque on and my fleece jacket oh, and all of this stuff. And bad. I was able to fall asleep, but I woke up multiple times, not quite shivering, but on that cusp of shivering. And it just was unpleasant. So night two, I canceled and came home and it was also going to, well, conditions weren't looking fantastic for that night. So, uh, I just did the
0: one evening. That's too bad.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it is. But, you know, lesson learned, I'll be better prepared for the next voyage there. Um, part of the issue too, again, you you just can't trust the forecast for that area, because there's not enough weather sensors around there to really tell you what's going on. Plus it's right. in a valley and it's just kind of a unique thing because the forecasted low was, was 15 degrees Celsius. So, you know, again, when I'm seeing that I'm thinking, oh, that's pretty easy to tolerate, especially with a electric heater inside. Yeah. Um, but then I checked the historical temperature, like the next day, like what did it actually go down to? And it went down to like six and a half degrees Celsius. So yeah, it you know the forecast was way, way off, and it got much cooler there than anticipated,
0: so yeah, I've seen that so many times there i I've gone down when it's been positive thirty eight Celsius, and I've seen minus three on like the next morning. you know, it's just it's just so extreme mm-hmm. yeah. just just so extreme, so extreme so uh where did you set up in relation to the authentic
1: right on the front step, basically, like five, six feet in front of the Authentic. I put my tripod down, uh, my front door faced south. So right in front, and it was almost ideal. I had a pretty good view of the south as well as the east, uh, west. Um, I lost some of the Northern horizon just because the Authentic was there blocking it, but mm. you know, rarely when I go there, am I observing things in the north? I'm usually looking the other direction. So it, it worked pretty good. Um, the downside is I basically had the whole campground in front of me as well, which is why I complained about the white lights. Cause I was exposed to all of them as a result. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's, uh, it is what it is. If you want one of the authentics that are kind of more isolated on the South side of the park, I think you lose more of that Southern horizon. Cause there's that big Hill there or sort of the edge of the Valley, that, um, you know, you're, you're going to lose a number of degrees. So I don't know. I don't know what the best one is, but I'll have to give that more thought.
0: Yeah. Mm. But anyway, yeah, the
1: sky conditions were just phenomenal. Um, it was so transparent and the seeing was really, really good. Um, I mentioned to you when we were exchanging text messages that it almost felt like I could reach up and touch the Milky way. It just, it had so much depth to it, and that's not, you know, we we've we've done tens and dozens of nights uh, down there, and and you don't always get that, you know. It it sometimes just looks more standard, you know, in terms of Milky Way appearance, uh, but there were there were moments where it almost seemed stellar to me as well, not just like sort of a, a soft glow. Um, it it was really really nice. Um, so I went to work using my Takahashi, uh, TSA 102 with the Bino viewer on the, uh, stellar view M2C mount and, uh, brought the Nexus digital setting circles and, uh, really had an, uh, like a really efficient, really productive evening. Um, yeah, so you know, the Perseids were out. Uh, I counted, I think about five bright ones, um, that I caught just, you know, looking up at the sky, but you know, I'm sure there was a lot more. My, my eyes were at the eyepiece most of the time. So mm-hmm. I probably missed a number of ones. Um, one left a really nice, uh, uh, sort of, what is that? Is it an ionized, uh, trail yeah. of some kind? Yeah. Yeah. One of them, uh, th- there was a trail probably for about two or three seconds after it flashed through the sky. And, uh, there was another one that I thought I missed cause I saw this soft, long glow in the South and, uh, mm. but it just persisted and persisted and slowly was moving. And I was like, well, that's not, <laughs> you know, that's not a meteor, uh, trail. So I pulled out my binos and sure enough, it was like 23 Starlink satellites traveling mm. by, but, uh, you know, that's becoming a more common thing as well, unfortunately, but um, where to start? Uh, so, you know, covered the Perseids. Um, my observing list for the night is working on Omira's hidden treasure list. Uh, just a quick recap of that. Omira observed that entire list using a four-inch uh, Teleview uh, NP-101, I believe, or maybe it was a Genesis. I can't remember. Or maybe a combo of both. Um, and he did most or maybe all of the observing uh, from his location in Hawaii. And it's just an interesting list of objects that probably don't get enough fanfare and are maybe sometimes uh, overlooked. So, you know, being I have a four inch refractor, I thought, you know, it's an interesting list to start to work through from a dark site. And uh, so I started uh, with some of the stuff that was really low on the horizon in Scorpius. Um, So I I checked out an open cluster uh, 6281. And, you know, I'm pretty much right on the horizon, uh, with these, uh, there's a couple of open clusters that I'll talk about and, uh, yeah, you know, pretty much right on that horizon. Um, so I started with 25 millimeter eyepieces, uh, but all I could really see was, you know, one star, um, and, and nothing else was really popping. So I, I put a little more power in there, uh, 12 millimeter orthos. And all of a sudden I could see about 12 stars, uh, with averted vision. Um, now I wasn't able to really, you know, get the extent of it just because of, uh, everything was so dim. And, uh, as it turns out, I don't think I actually observed the the open cluster i think the open cluster was to the top and to the left uh cuz you know what i do is i write down all of my observing notes at the eyepiece and then the next day i go into sky safari and validate what i think i saw especially mm-hmm. if it if it was questionable and um i just thought this is a you know like i've seen a number of these hidden treasures and normally once you get the field it's like oh yeah there's the open cluster or there's the galaxy or whatever it might be uh, and this was extremely faint. Um, so I don't believe, like I say, I don't believe I actually saw <laughs> 6281, but what I saw was a bunch of magnitude 13 to 14 stars that are very near, uh, V923 Scorp uh, Scorpi. uh, that's the star designation. If anybody's interested, uh, very close to 6281, but not, uh, not the proper cluster, But Mm -hmm. um, kind of an interesting note of just (laughs) on the horizon, speaking to the sky conditions that night, you know, observing right on the horizon and I'm able to pull stars that dim, uh, which was pretty amazing to me. Um, moving on, uh, there's a, an open cluster that I definitely observed. Uh, this was six, four, zero, zero in Scorpius. And from this point on, I pretty much left the 12 millimeter ortho is just in the Bino viewer, mm-hmm. uh, you know, using the Nexus, uh, digital setting circles really allows for that. Um, so it's a, it's, it's, an advantage of the setting circles that I never really considered before in terms of efficiency is you don't have to, you know, go wide field eyepiece to get the field and then, you know, switch to higher magnifications. I just kind of left the higher magnification in there and the setting circles, you know, got me to where I needed to be every time. Mm-hmm. So 6,400, uh, there's, a there was three stars that were kind of tightly packed um, roughly in the middle of this open cluster sort of reminded me of the belt of Orion. Um, and then there is a, a lot more stars that were visible with averted vision. Um, and this was still sort of during astronomical twilight. So it wasn't 100% dark. Uh, I'll definitely revisit this one uh, when it is a darker sky, uh, just to see how many of those stars I can pull out. Um, so from Scorpius, <laughs> I was just going down the list, so this one's going to seem very strange, uh but I I swung over to Draco, um then observed six three six one, uh, which was uh, or no, actually ignore that. I'll get to the Draco galaxy here in a little bit. Um, I moved to Sagittarius for a planetary nebula, six four, four five. um, and it's kind of a nice little planetary. It looked slightly oval, uh, you know, definitely not a circle at the eyepiece. And, uh, what's kind of cool is there's a neat little double right beside it. And, um, looking at sky safari after the fact, it looks like there's a little bit of color variation. I think one's like a yellow orange star and the other one I think is blue. I wasn't able to really pick up the color, but, um, what was interesting is the planetary nebula is about the same size as the separation of that double star system. Uh, so that was kind of cool to see, um, around that time, Saturn was, uh, a few degrees up now. And, uh, you know, so I had a quick look at that. I was surprised at how close the rings are to edge on, and I don't know why I'm surprised. I know we're getting very close to that moment, but, uh, you know, it's, it's neat to see that transition year over year of how the angle of those rings in its alignment to earth change. So that was kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, where
0: else here? Um, what about some globular clusters? I think I saw a few of those yeah. in your notes. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's the next one here. So six four four one, a globular in Sagittarius. Um, so it's not a huge one. It's uh, there, there's a bright star in the field, and and the globular is very close to it. Um, it, it's small, but it was a really dense, bright core. Uh, easy to spot with direct vision. Um, But with averted vision, it was interesting. The brilliance of this cluster really popped. And, you know, I find that with a lot of these hidden treasures on the list, Um, like averted vision in general always helps with just about any object. But, you know, there's, you know, the Messiers, especially the brighter Messiers, I find direct vision and averted vision pretty close you know in terms mm-hmm. of what you're seeing but with the hidden treasures almost all of them you can see direct vision but the averted vision really transforms the object into something quite spectacular mm-hmm. and it was very evident on uh, 6441 uh so then there's another open cluster in uh, Sagittarius 6520 this is the second time I've looked at this one it's a cool little open cluster um, there's a prominent line of six stars and, uh, there's, you know, to my left observing. So, you know, left, right is reversed in a refractor. The brightest star in the chain is of the one on the far left. Um, and then there's three close ones kind of on the right, but surrounded by like, uh, a bunch of fainter stars that are part of this open cluster. Uh, it's a really neat one. I like it a lot. And what I didn't realize is, um, the DSS image of that, the deep sky survey photo, is it shows it as an exceptionally rich star field. Um, but like very, very faint stars, you know, dipping into the magnitude 1415 range. Um, so next time I'm out, I might try a little more magnification just to see if I can tease out some of those, uh, and, you know, make it a little more brilliant because, uh, the photos make it look like this would be one of the finest clusters in the sky, but it's just, uh, you know, visually you're not getting all of that. Okay. Uh, so then the galaxy and Draco, uh, six, five Oh three. Uh, so this one maybe was my favorite object of the night. Uh, I've never looked at it before. Um, it was quite large and, uh, you know, it, it was oval or, or very near edge on. Um, and again, you know, direct vision, easy to see averted vision though. It really started to take on some shape and some character. Um, it almost seemed like I was getting occasional dark modeling, uh, like, you know, kind of dust bands in a way within this galaxy. But I, I really don't believe that that's possible. It had to be just kind of my eye doing weird things or you know, some other explanation. Cause you, you know, it's really hard to pinpoint some of that kind of detail with averted vision when it's kind of coming in and out, and, you know, a four-inch telescope on a distant galaxy like that, I wouldn't expect to see really much detail. So, But nonetheless, I uh, thought I'd write that down as part of what I saw. Nice. So, yeah, so those were the highlights, really, um, in terms of uh, telescope observing. Now, this was getting close to the end of my session. I was getting cold. Um, and, uh, you know, the moon was starting to rise, actually, as well. So I pulled out, well, I put all my gear away, pulled out the the binoculars, the 12 by 36 Canon image stabilized ones. And I just did a a real slow pan of the Milky Way, right from Sagittarius, really all the way up overhead to Cygnus and then down into Cassiopeia and Perseus. And it was so fun. Um, You know, there's so many like amazing clusters and nebula, uh, that pop and star fields. It's just, uh, it's a ton of fun. I always enjoy ending a session like that and, um, caught Jupiter. It was rising. Uh, I was able to see, you know, three Galilean moons, uh, probably spent about 20 or 30 minutes just doing this final bino session. Um, you know, the, one of the surprising observations was the lagoon. It, uh, it looked so good through binos, like almost to the point that I don't think my four inch really enhanced it, you know, like it was just stunning. Um, and then, you know, what was kind of weird. Now I mentioned to you that I, like I, I said, I wrote down Sharpless 205 cause I was, was, uh, by Perseus, you know, checking out, uh, you know, that star or what is that? A stellar association there. Melodic. The
0: Alpha Persei moving group.
1: Yeah. 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 I was all over that, and then I was looking at M34, which is, you know, nearby, and then I swung the opposite direction, and I caught this very long, narrow nebula, and, uh, you know, so noted that, came in, you know, at the end of the session, looked at the star chart, and I was saying, you know, when I was looking, uh, the only thing that really jumped out and was in the right spot uh, was Sharpless 205. I was like, well, okay, I'm not so sure. Like, sharp. Some of these sharpless objects are not real visual targets. Yeah. Did Um, you have a filter in? No filter, just the binos. And um, so I came home, did a little more research. Oh,
0: were you on the California Nebula? Well, so that's what I've. Yeah.
1: I I think I must have been because I'm not. There's just no way that I could have seen Sharpless 205. There's another one there, 1491, NGC 1491. Yeah, I've
0: observed that. That is tough. Yeah, <laughs> I, that's exactly
1: it. So I'm like, well, that's also in the same spot, but yeah. I don't think that's possible. With just and was it
0: like, something. was it reasonably bright without a filter? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That's so that's got to be the color because yeah, I've observed those other two Sharpless from uh, from the grasslands on like an awesome night and. It, they were like, they, I would never say they were bright, right. but the Cal- California nebula from down there is yeah. that's, that's like, that's binoculars yeah. easy. Yeah.
1: yeah. So anyway, even on like my paper notes, I wrote, you know, really looks like the California nebula. yeah. Well, <laughs> and I go. think, I think what, um, what had happened is this is the end of the night. And you're tired, right? And I, <laughs> I just think I lost track of kind of where I was in Perseus. Assuming I was closer, you know, to the north where Mirfak is, but in fact I wasn't. I was much further south, uh, looking at the California Nebula yeah. when that thing uh, popped into my field of view, yeah. which was yeah. beautiful. It was really neat oh, yeah. to see. But I thought I'd mention that too, as just a, you know, sort of a, a classic example of how you know, you can sometimes get a little lost in the sky or when you're tired, uh, you know, some of the details that normally would, you know, just be readily available in your memory are just not available. Yeah, (laughs) And also why it's kind of important to do a little bit of research the next day to validate some of the stuff you think you saw, especially if you have any sort of question around what it might have been. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it was wonderful. It was a great night of observing, um, you know, knocked a number of objects off this, uh, hidden treasure list and had a bunch of other bonuses, you know, things I didn't write down was a number of messy objects that I looked at. Um, you know, I started, started the night really with some eye candy in Sagittarius, just waiting for darkness to set in. Um, the Swan looked incredible, uh, through the four inch. In fact, one of the best views I've ever had of the Swan was that the uh, Saskatchewan Summer Star Party in Cypress Hills many years ago with my eight-inch daub. Mm-hmm. And uh, the view that night through the four-inch reminded me very closely of what that view looked like at Cypress. Um, but yeah, really, um really looked at a lot of Messier's too along the way. M51, mm-hmm. um, I wasn't really getting spirals, but I think it was pretty close. Like I you know, it, it sort of seemed like it was there, but it mm-hmm. wasn't enough for me to confidently say I saw it, but certainly like the two components of M51, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, I guess it's more optical components, but the, uh, they certainly were evident. Um, yeah, it was just a, a really, really nice night.
0: Yeah. It's, it's always fantastic to get down there. Uh, I think, like one year, I spent 49 nights down there observing or trying to observe, I should say, and did observe about half the nights. Yeah, just such a spectacular uh, spot, even just with binoculars or a little telescope or or a four-inch or a five-inch. Yeah, it's just just such a great, great experience to be down there looking at stuff. I always find, though, I like the idea of using the autentics because it's so much just to drag all the stuff with you. You need to survive a hot Windy, cold, you know, variable environment that, uh, that, yeah, I was, I was really curious to hear how you made out with, uh, with that. And I appreciate you sharing it with me. We were, we were just chatting and then thought, hey, we'll make, a, make an episode out of this instead of just, uh, talking astronomy, uh, amongst ourselves. So, yeah, really yeah. cool. Thanks for yeah. sharing that.
1: Yeah, you bet. You know, next time too, just back to the authentic is, um, you know, one of the gaffes was I did not turn on. The electric heat. <laughs> so, one of the beautiful things in the future when we're using those things to observe is it's a perfect warm up place. You know, you can mm-hmm. just walk in for ten or fifteen minutes if you need to, and if you have the heat going, it'll be a beautiful, you know, oasis. <laughs> um, and yeah, like you know, I was considering getting a uh, like a, a t- uh, like a camping rec- uh, like RV trailer, uh, mm-hmm. so that I could get out of the wind, so I could have those afternoon naps. Uh, I was considering like all sorts of awnings and, you know, other shelters that get you out of the wind and the sun. Mm -hmm. Uh, They all have a cost, obviously, and they all have um, additional, you know, packing requirements and all of that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. And, you know, the authentic, while it's three times the cost of one night of camping, I don't have to then buy it. like an RV trailer, I don't have to maintain the RV trailer. There's, there's so many great trade-offs there. Um, even the gas to tow an RV trailer, uh, probably that, that cost alone probably, uh, makes it a wash, you know, in terms of the cost of the authentic, I bet just the gasoline alone is the uh, same, same amount you pay for the authentic. So I'm a huge fan of those.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I I also had looked at uh, like RVs and trailers and that sort of thing and that that's how we end up down the road of of purchasing an old cabin because just like you said just once you factor in all those costs and all the uh all the stuff you need to do. I think I think there's like good use cases for the RV and uh and people that uh, that get them it just uh wasn't going to wasn't quite going to work. I I also want a permanent spot to uh build something for observing in.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so that was it for uh, for my observing report. Um that's probably all I'll, all of the observing I'll get in for new moon this August cuz uh Jessica and I have just some travel plans next weekend, but um nice. looking forward to new moon in September. Hopefully we have some good weather there and uh you know, able to get out and enjoy it again. Good. Excellent. Yeah any, uh, astronomy news that you want to share or anything new in your world that way? No,
0: I was boring Shane at the, at the start here with, uh, painting the, the observatory or at the painting stage, which is not the last stage for, for anybody following along. And I'm not going to get too into it, but, uh, yeah, we've got 20, about two dozen, uh, things left to do, probably, half of those things need to be done to make it operational and my builder is kind of on to other projects so he's he's at at the current rate doing one of these items a week so uh it could be anywhere between 5 and and uh 20 weeks before we get it done so it just depends on how long it takes him to do uh the two two other jobs he's lined up so when when I need something I'm kind of saying okay this is the priority and then he'll swoop in and do that one thing and then um, might not see him as much for the next, uh, few days or a week. So kind of hoping he comes today. I need to get the, uh, roof tie downs on because the roof is just screwed on. We unscrewed it yesterday, rolled it off. Literally it was rolled off for 20 minutes and a storm came in, had to, you know, we rolled it back on, had to get him to run up. Cause he's got a, what do you call it? Anyway, one of those high impact drills to actually secure it. And, uh, you know, so <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just kind of a nightmare not not being able to roll it whenever whenever we want. But uh, yeah, it's a long list of stuff. Uh, need to get windows in, but I got to do the painting before the windows go in. So still painting and uh, roof is sticking in a couple spots. It's going to need to be tweaked, uh, need to finish the door, uh, install the pure adapter, angle iron catches for the roof and need to seal around the roof. That's kind of a a big job and then put some venting in and weather stripping and then some shelves and most barrier and power and that kind of stuff. So yeah, it's quite, quite a long list, but at, at the very minimum, uh, the windows need to go in and the vents need to go in and the door needs to be finished. Um, and then the pure adapter on, and all that is after the painting is done, which uh, I might get enough of it done this week uh for him to to start on those things whenever he has a chance so i'm going to say minimum 3 weeks until we'd be operational realistically i'm going to say 6 weeks and then probably another 6 weeks before it's sort of completely finished
1: hmm. well you know what it'll be great when it's done
0: yeah um, kind of like i said to you at the start you you either have to have a lot of money or be ignorant of building <laughs> to, to venture into this. And, and, and I'm, I'm dead serious. You know, I can see why, uh, Wayne, uh, who, who runs Skyshed, uh, and you had one of these for a while, so, so many of those pods, you need know, get the pod, uh, you know, a couple of people can throw it together. You, you put it up on one of those, uh, you know, you can put it on a lawn like you did, or you can put it up on a deck platform and you're kind of off the races. They're a bit tight or whatever, and. Um, but you know, you you can just really kind of get it together sort of in a weekend and then and then be observing out of it. Um, but this this uh what we thought originally, like the builder and I thought, oh, three, six weeks maybe is uh, and we're at the next week will be two months. Mm-hmm. Um we're we're just past six weeks now. And a lot of it comes down to all the, like I was telling you, all the custom parts. Everything is a custom part, everything is a custom. You know, once you kind of get the basic structure, unless you're, when Richard Berry talks about building an observatory, I think he has really good advice. Go eight by eight and just make it really simple. Don't do anything fancy at all. And as soon as you start customizing it, you're doubling your, your time, probably to do a good eight by eight. You can, I think you can realistically easily do that in six weeks, but like everything, for example, like now we're out of paint, I have to go buy more paint. If it was eight by eight, we would have had enough paint. Like so it's, it's that kind of stuff. I just, I just wanted the little bit of extra room because to eight by 10, three people can fit inside of it pretty comfortably. And like two people is, is great, you know, and most of the time it's going to be myself. Um, some of the time it'd be two people, maybe there'll be, you know, three people from time to time. And if I have more people, I, I put it up on a big flat spot so people can kind of spill it onto the lawn beside it. So it'll work out well, but, uh, yeah, everything is is just uh yeah, very time consuming. And and I'm doing some of the work myself. So I'm working full time and trying to get this stuff done is uh yeah. My estimate was 12 hours to the painting. And uh yeah, we're double that now, any at the very at the very least, and probably another 12 hours to go, maybe I don't know. So mm. we'll see. We'll yeah. see. Yeah, uh, but uh yeah, I can see why not everybody has one of these things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fair. <laughs> Like, if somebody asked me what my rec- if if anybody asked me for recommendations on building an observatory now it might be, do you really need one no. <laughs> i I think I do, but um, I still think I do, but I definitely have have learned an awful lot in yeah. this uh, in this process for sure,
1: yeah, yeah, well, yes, yeah. uh, it'll be done at some point, and uh, I'm sure this will all be forgotten <laughs> all,
0: all of the I stories. don't know <laughs> I don't know. yeah, my wife's been helping as well because it's uh a lot of this is like just tons and tons of work so yeah shout out to her she said she wanted a shout out so i'm giving her a shout out on the podcast <laughs> as, nice. as thanks yeah so she's been working but uh yeah mark radici as well you know another shout out to him we were emailing a, a game we've uh, done a zoom call or, or i think we have another zoom call lined up at, at some point uh and uh, maybe we can do an episode or something and have Mark on and we can kind of uh, mm-hmm. chat about the trials and tribulations of, uh, of building, of building it. But yeah, like, you know, you were saying like lessons learned, like some of the things are like, somebody told me don't do two V tracks, just do one and definitely should have done that. Cause we're probably, probably, we're going to try it for this year, but we're probably going to end up ripping out one of the V tracks and just go flat on one side. Cause it's virtually impossible unless you build like a metal cage like Mark and his to get the V tracks to run properly. Mm. It's like wood just doesn't have that, that kind of tolerance to one sixteenth of an inch or whatever. And, uh, and some of the other things I, I probably would have gone if possible, like two inch higher walls, I probably would have made them uh, like six, two or six, four or something. I think mine are six, two right now. Um, we did end up going up another two inches, but I would have gone another cause two inches is you're really not losing much sky, but like the interior functionality of it for people like who are a little bit taller, it would have been uh, a fair bit better. Like for ingress, like if, if I had gone two inches taller, like most people are fine entering it. If like, you'll be okay, but you'll just have to kind of watch your head when you step in. But if I had gone two inches higher, like you'd have to be seven feet tall to really have to watch your head. So Mm. it would have, would have been good to do that. Uh, Things, things of that nature. And just, like I said, before we started recording, uh, getting the roof sealed around the edges. Uh, yeah. We're having trouble figuring out how to do that. It's, it's, uh, that's more tricky than we, than we thought. So we've got some janky boards up or whatever, and they're, they're going to stay there and, and do the trick for the front, but then it's like the sides and the back. Um, yeah, I don't know. I already killed my first spider in there. Big, yeah. Big spider came in. So, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we're we're already getting inhabitants, so that's good because I think that's the official animal of of the observatory is the spider. I I come mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to understand. So yeah, yeah, you probably had a few in yours when you had it.
1: Oh yes, quite a few. Yeah, yeah. spider yeah. eradication became a, a part of my you know backyard maintenance errands, I guess.
0: <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, it won't be a hundred percent sealed, which is. uh, which is fine but uh but yeah you sold yours what 2 years ago now something like that
1: yeah something
0: like that yep yep so, 2 or 3 years ago yeah i remember remember you were selling that and uh but yeah i think there there those are a good option and also not having an observatory is is a good option if you can just have a good spot uh to pull out onto but for for me, I want to observe quite a bit more. And like last night was a good example. Like the evening was, there was nothing to observe. It was like intermittent, um, like rain clouds coming through, not like big storms or anything, but then, you know, around, uh, midnight one am totally cleared off All night, I would have observed, I was just too tired from painting and had to get up this morning and paint for a couple hours, two and a half hours before uh, we did the show here this morning. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. It's a, it's, it's a lot of work putting one of these things together and yeah, just all the little things, all the little things like, you know, how do you lock it down? What do those, what do those parts look like? Sure. I say turnbuckle, but you go in and there's like a hundred turnbuckles and none of them turn the right way that you need them to turn. Right. So you have to run around to every hardware store in the city to find the ones that will work best, you know, all that kind of stuff. So. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Not yeah. fun, but yeah.
0: Uh, oh, well. Yeah, buy some roof panels, and then they don't have the right parts to secure them to the roofs. You have to order them from a company online, and those take a week to come in. Just never ending. It, yeah. it just feels never ending at this point. But anyway, we'll we'll see. Short term pain for long term gain. But it's starting. It looks like an observatory now, or as my neighbors call it, the star because it kind of looks like a like a shed with a gazebo that that doesn't work very well next to it. So. <laughs> Right. right. Anything to add Shane before we, uh, before we conclude? No, that's it, Chris. All right. Well, dear listeners, please subscribe and do us the favor and share the show with other stargazers. You know, you can always send us your show ideas, observations, and questions to actual astronomy at gmail.com.
1: Thank you everyone for listening. And we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us, or if you would like to support the podcast,